welcome to Blazing History, where we are blazing through history one week at a time. I'm Blaze Bryant. Facebook.com slash Blazing Shows. That's B-L-A-I-S-I-N Shows. Same with Twitter. And my website, BlazingShows.com. Hope all is well and that you've had a great week. As we're going to recap this week in history from April 29th through May 5th. A lot to get into on April 29th. The Simpsons passed Gunsmoke as the longest running show. Here's a clip from their first episode from September 7 or I'm sorry, December 17th, 1989. Oh, careful, huh? There's no time to be careful. We're late. Hey, Norman, how's it going? So you got dragged down here, too, huh? How you doing, Fred? Excuse me. Yeah. Excuse me, Fred. Oh, pardon my galoshes. <laughs> Wasn't that wonderful? And now, Santa's of many lands. As presented by the entire second grade class. Oh, Lisa's class. Felice Weihnachten. That's German for Merry Christmas. In Germany, Santa's servant Ruprecht gives presents to good children and whipping rods to the parents of bad ones. <laughs> Merry Kuramatsu. I am Hotsuyashi, a Japanese priest who acts like Santa Claus. I have eyes in the back of my head, so children better behave when I'm nearby. (gasps) Now, presenting Lisa Simpson as Tawanga, the Santa Claus of the South Seas. Oh, it's Lisa. That's ours. with a melody, uh, medley, of holiday flavorites. Dashing through the snow, in a one-horse open sleigh, o'er the fields we go, laughing all the way, ha, 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 bells on a fox-tail ring, making cherry sweet Homer, he sings like an angel. does this school have? Mm. Dear friends of the Simpson family, we had some sadness and some gladness this year. First, the sadness. Our little cat, Snowball, was unexpectedly run over and went to kitty heaven. But we bought a new little cat, Snowball, too. So I guess life goes on. Speaking of life going on, Grandpa is still with us, feisty as ever. Maggie is walking by herself. Lisa got straight A's, and Bart, well, 
We love Bart. The magic of the season has touched us all. Marge, haven't you finished that stupid letter yet? Homer sends his love. Happy holidays. Marge. The Simpsons. Marge, where's the extension cord? Oh, for heaven's sakes, Homer, it's in the utility drawer. Sorry, I'm just a big kid, and I love Christmas so much. Well, Christmas in May, what can I say? That was The Simpsons. I'm sorry. Yeah, May. Now we move on to May. It was May 1st of 1991. Ricky Henderson made history as he is a, was a member of the Oakland Athletics, and here's how it sounded on A's radio. The A's having come from behind a three, a one nothing deficit. Ricky goes, a pitch ticket. He's going to have it. He does. Ricky Henderson. No contest, steals third base, jerks the bag from its moorings, and holds it aloft, representing number 939. Ricky pounds it with his left fist, hands it to equipment manager Frank Sinchek, who gives him a big hug as Ricky's mom. Again, talking about the uh, game <laughs> being forgotten. <laughs> and Lou Brock, probably the happiest guy on the field right now. He can finally make his speech, pass over the record to Ricky, and go about his business. Well, he's already out there. They've got a presentation table out there. Took a long time, huh? First off... I would like to thank God for giving me that opportunity. I want to thank the Haas family, the Oakland organization, the city of Oakland, and all y'all beautiful fans for supporting me. First of all, I would like to thank my mom, my family, friend, and loved one for their support. I want to give my appreciation to the late Tom Trevorhan and the late Billy Martin. Billy Martin was a great manager. He was a great friend to me. I love you, Billy. I wish he was here. <laughs> Luke Brock was the symbol of great base stealing. But today, I'm the greatest of all time. Thank you. Hi, Ricky Henderson. He had 939 on May 1st, 1991. That's how it sounded on A's radio, coupled with a clip from his presentation. So there we have it there. We actually have a couple of events from May 2nd. The first one, we stay on the diamond, and this one's from 1939. Lou Gehrig played 2,130 games, and that was it. And here's a clip from 1939 with his iconic speech. First baseman Lou Gehrig hung up an amazing mark by playing in 2,130 consecutive games. Then a fatal disease attacked baseball's Iron Man. In Yankee Stadium, touched to tears by the tribute, Gary made his last public appearance. For the past two weeks, you've been reading about a bad brag. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. 
When you look around, wouldn't you consider it privilege to associate yourself with such a fine-looking man as is standing in uniform in this ballpark today? That I might have been given a bad break, but I've got an awful lot to live for. Thank you. Lou Gehrig, 2,130 straight games. That streak was broken by Cal Ripken. Of course, we still do not have a cure today for Lou Gehrig's disease. Not often that I do this, but also on May 2nd, now we fast forward quite a bit to 2011, Osama bin Laden was killed by U.S. forces. I remember this very well. A bunch of us in my freshman college dorm were gathered around and we just couldn't believe it certainly one of the most memorable moments of our lives and we'll hear from president obama right now talking about it and how it all happened tonight i can report to the american people and to the world that the united states has conducted an operation that killed osama bin laden the leader of al-qaeda and a terrorist who's responsible for the murder of thousands of innocent men women, and children. It was nearly 10 years ago that a bright September day was darkened by the worst attack on the American people in our history. The images of 9-11 are seared into our national memory. Hijacked planes cutting through a cloudless September sky, the Twin Towers collapsing to the ground, black smoke billowing up from the Pentagon, the wreckage of Flight 93 in Shanksville, Pennsylvania where the actions of heroic citizens saved even more heartbreak and destruction. And yet we know that the worst images are those that were unseen to the world. The empty seat at the dinner table, children who were forced to grow up without their mother or their father, parents who would never know the feeling of their child's embrace, nearly 3,000 citizens taken from us, leaving a gaping hole in our hearts. On September 11, 2001, in our time of grief, the American people came together. We offered our neighbors a hand, and we offered the wounded our blood. We reaffirmed our ties to each other and our love of community and country. On that day, no matter where we came from, what God we prayed to, or what race or ethnicity we were, we were united as one American family. We were also united in our resolve to protect our nation and to bring those who committed this vicious attack to justice. We quickly learned that the 9-11 attacks were carried out by Al-Qaeda, an organization headed by Osama bin Laden, which had openly declared war on the United States and was committed to killing innocents in our country and around the globe. And so we went to war against Al-Qaeda to protect our citizens, our friends, and our allies. Over the last 10 years, Thanks to the tireless and heroic work of our military and our counterterrorism professionals, we've made great strides in that effort. We've disrupted terrorist attacks and strengthened our homeland defense. In Afghanistan, we removed the Taliban government, which had given bin Laden and al-Qaeda safe haven and support. And around the globe, we worked with our friends and allies to capture or kill scores of al-Qaeda terrorists, including several who were a part of the 9-11 plot. Yet, Osama bin Laden avoided capture, 
and escaped across the Afghan border into Pakistan. Meanwhile, al-Qaeda continued to operate from along that border and operate through its affiliates across the world. And so shortly after taking office, I directed Leon Panetta, the director of the CIA, to make the killing or capture of bin Laden the top priority of our war against al-Qaeda, even as we continued our broader efforts to disrupt, dismantle, and defeat his network. Then, last August, after years of painstaking work by our intelligence community, I was briefed on a possible lead to bin Laden. It was far from certain, and it took many months to run this thread to ground. I met repeatedly with my national security team as we developed more information about the possibility that we had located bin Laden hiding within a compound deep inside Pakistan. And finally, last week, I determined that we had enough intelligence to take action and authorized an operation to get Osama bin Laden and bring him to justice. Today, at my direction, the United States launched a targeted operation against that compound in Abbottabad, Pakistan. A small team of Americans carried out the operation with extraordinary courage and capability. No Americans were harmed. They took care to avoid civilian casualties. After a firefight, they killed Osama bin Laden and took custody of his body. For over two decades, bin Laden has been al-Qaeda's leader and symbol and has continued to plot attacks against our country and our friends and allies. The death of bin Laden marks the most significant achievement to date in our nation's effort to defeat al-Qaeda. Yet his death does not mark the end of our effort. There is no doubt that al-Qaeda will continue to pursue attacks against us. We must and we will remain vigilant at home and abroad. As we do, we must also reaffirm that the United States is not and never will be at war with Islam. I've made clear, just as President Bush did shortly after 9-11, that our war is not against Islam. Bin Laden was not a Muslim leader. He was a mass murderer of Muslims. Indeed, al-Qaeda has slaughtered scores of Muslims in many countries, including our own. So his demise should be welcomed by all who believe in peace and human dignity. Over the years, I've repeatedly made clear that we would take action within Pakistan if we knew where bin Laden was. That is what we've done. But it's important to note that our counterterrorism cooperation with Pakistan helped lead us to bin Laden and the compound where he was hiding. Indeed, bin Laden had declared war against Pakistan as well and ordered attacks against the Pakistani people. Tonight, I called President Zardari, and my team has also spoken with their Pakistani counterparts. They agree that this is a good and historic day for both of our nations. And going forward, it is essential that Pakistan continue to join us in the fight against al-Qaeda and its affiliates. The American people did not choose this fight. It came to our shores and started with the senseless slaughter of our citizens. After nearly 10 years of service, struggle, and sacrifice, we know well the costs of war. These efforts weigh on me every time I, as Commander-in-Chief, have to sign a letter to a family that has lost a loved one, or look into the eyes of a service member who's been gravely wounded. So Americans understand the costs of war. Yet, as a country, we will never tolerate our security being threatened, nor stand idly by when our people have been killed. We will be relentless 
in defense of our citizens and our friends and allies. We will be true to the values that make us who we are. And on nights like this one, we can say to those families who have lost loved ones to al-Qaeda's terror, justice has been done. Tonight, we give thanks to the countless intelligence and counterterrorism professionals who have worked tirelessly to achieve this outcome. The American people do not see their work nor know their names. But tonight, they feel the satisfaction of their work and the result of their pursuit of justice. We give thanks for the men who carried out this operation, for they exemplify the professionalism, patriotism, and unparalleled courage of those who serve our country. And they are part of a generation that has borne the heaviest share of the burden since that September day. Finally, let me say to the families who lost loved ones on 9-11 that we have never forgotten your loss, nor wavered in our commitment to see that we do whatever it takes to prevent another attack on our shores. And tonight, let us think back to the sense of unity that prevailed on 9-11. I know that it has at times frayed, yet today's achievement is a testament to the greatness of our country and the determination of the American people. The cause of securing our country is not complete, but tonight we are once again reminded that America can do whatever we set our mind to. That is the story of our history. Whether it's the pursuit of prosperity for our people or the struggle for equality for all our citizens, our commitment to stand up for our values abroad, and our sacrifices to make the world a safer place. Let us remember that we can do these things not just because of wealth or power, but because of who we are, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. May God bless you. And may God bless the United States of America. President Obama talking about the capturing of Osama bin Laden, which happened on May 2nd, 2011. Hard to believe that was 10 years ago. I was in the hallway with my freshman dorm mates and we were just kind of watching in awe and went into one of the lounge areas and crowded around a TV. Just absolutely surreal to sit here and think about. I May 3rd of 1979 was when Margaret Thatcher was elected prime minister of the United Kingdom. Here she is in one of her final campaign speeches. We're coming to the moment of decision. As the tumult and the shouting of the last few weeks die away and you sit at home wondering what to do on Thursday, I can well imagine you saying to yourselves, if only the politicians would be quiet, if only we could sit peacefully for a few minutes and think about our country and its future and the decision you are asking us to make. I know how you feel. The decision is crucial. The problems facing Britain are very grave. I can't remember when our people have approached an election quite as thoughtfully as this one. We've tried to fight an honorable campaign, to put before you truthfully the choice this country faces. That choice will decide who governs Britain for the next five years. It may also decide what sort of country our children and grandchildren grow up in. And all the other questions have been argued and debated in the papers, on radio and on television. There's only one that really matters in the end. What's best for Britain? 
I've never believed that this country is a naturally socialist country. We're an independent people. We don't take easily to having more and more of our lives decided for us by the state. We don't take kindly to being pushed around. We're good neighbors, concerned for the welfare of others. We regard it as a privilege to say to the old, the sick, the needy and the disabled, don't worry, we'll look after you. Now, no one in my position, asking for your support, your understanding, could be unaware of the responsibility that I'm asking you to give me at this moment of decision for our country. To that I should perhaps add the fact, and if I don't, a lot of others will, that this is the first time in our history that a woman could, after Thursday, be holding the highest political office in our national life. It's never happened before, and I know that despite all the changes in our society, there are some who still feel a little bit uncertain about it. I also know that there are others who would welcome it. I've always believed that what matters in politics, as in the rest of life, isn't who you are or where you come from, but what you believe and what you want to do with your life. What matters are your convictions. So as we approach the end of this campaign, I want to tell you the thoughts and feelings that will guide me in government if you place your confidence in the Conservative Party on Thursday. Let me give you my vision. Somewhere ahead lies greatness for our country again. This I know in my heart. Look at Britain today, and you may think that an impossible dream. But there's another Britain which may not make the daily news, but which each one of us knows. It's a Britain of thoughtful people, oh, tantalizingly slow to act, yet marvelously determined when they do. It's their voice which steadies each generation, not by oratory or argument, but by a word here or there, a sudden flash of truth which makes men pause and think and say, that makes sense to me. Today, if you listen, you can hear that voice again. It calls not for upheaval or conflict or division. It calls for balance, for a land where all may grow, but none may grow oppressive. Its message is quiet, but insistent. It says this, let us make this a country safe to work in. Let us make this a country safe to walk in. Let us make it a country safe to grow up in. Let us make it a country safe to grow old in. And it says above all, may this land of ours, which we love so much, find dignity and greatness and peace again. 42 years ago on May 3rd, 1979, Margaret Thatcher was indeed elected the first woman prime minister of the United Kingdom. And here in the United States, that still hasn't happened. Yes, we have a woman vice president, but not in our history have we had a woman president. All right, well, we round the curve here toward the finish line. And how apt to end it with that saying, from May 5th, 1973... 
when Secretariat made horse racing history. And Secretariat being led, he is number is two, but he goes into the number one post. And then coming in after him is uh, Private Smiles the, with the distinguished Whitney colors. Most of these are quiet horses. The starters have handled almost all of them. They don't anticipate any trouble. And as this third horse goes in, I give it up to Chick Anderson, who called the race for you. Thanks, Woody. The horse is continuing to move into the gate. Here's the one horse that caused a bit of trouble in the Derby. Twice a prince, but he appears to be going in fine today. Yes, he's in and well. And Sham now going in. He's the outside horse, and we're ready to go for this tremendous Belmont stick. Everybody's in line, and they're off. Looks like the early lead goes to Mike Gallant. Yes, Mike Gallant going for the lead with Twice the Prince on the outside. Secretary away very well, has good position on the rail, and in fact is now going up with the leader. They're moving for the first turn. It is Secretariat. Sham on the outside is also moving along strongly. And now it's Sham. Sham and Secretariat are right together into the first turn. Mike Gallant has third behind them. Then it's Twice the Prince, and the trailer is Private Smiles as they go by the turn. Those two together, Sham on the outside. Sham getting ahead in front as they move around the turn with Secretariat second. Then there's a large gap. Make it eight lengths back to Mike Gallant in third and Vice of Prince fourth. And Private Smiles is still the trailer. They're on the back stretch. It's almost a match race now. Secretariat's on the inside by a head. Sham is on the outside. They've opened ten lengths on Mike Gallant, who is third by a head, with Vice of Prince fourth. Then it's another eight lengths back to Private Smiles, who is trailing the field. They continue down the backstretch, and that's Secretariat not taking the lead. He's got it by about a length and a half. Still Sham, ten lengths back, Mike Gallant, Vice of Prince. They're moving on the turn now. For the turn at Secretariat, it looks like he's opening. The lead is increasing. Make it three, three and a half. He's moving into the turn. Secretariat holding on to a large lead. Sham is second, and then it's a long way back to Mike Allen and twice a print. They're on the turn. It's Secretariat is blazing along the first three quarters of a mile in 109 and four fifths. Secretariat is widening now. He is moving like a tremendous machine. Secretariat by 12. Secretariat by 14 lengths on the turn. Sham is dropping back. It looks like they'll catch him today as Mike Allen and Vice of Prince are both coming up to him now. But Secretariat is all alone. He's out there almost a sixteenth of a mile away from the rest of the horses. Secretariat is in a position that seems impossible to catch. He's into the stretch. Secretariat leads his field by 18 lengths. And now Price of Prince has taken second, and Mike Gallant has moved back to third. They're in the stretch. Secretariat has opened a 22-length lead. He is going to be the Triple Crown winner. Here comes Secretariat to the wire. An unbelievable, an amazing performance. He hits the finish 25 lengths in front. It's going to be Price of Prince second. Hard to believe. Wow. 25 lengths for Secretariat, which rounds out this week in history. I'm Blaze Bryant. That's all the time we have. Thanks for listening to Blazing History, Blazing Through History, one week at a time. What do you think? Let me know at facebook.com slash blazing shows. That's B L A I S I N shows. On Twitter at Blazin' Shows, or email me, blazin'shows at gmail.com. 
You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts or on my website, blazinshows.com. To quote the late Franklin D. Roosevelt, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Take care of yourself and we'll talk again next week. On Blazin' History, I'm Blaze Bryant.